Okay, I think we're ready to begin with our first speaker. Her name is Jessica Levy. Levy or Levy, Jessica? Levy, thank you. And she's going to talk to us about holistic dog care. We've all heard about it. Some of us would like to know more about it. Some of us think they know everything about it. I look at these lists. <laughs> um, so we're going to let Jessica set us straight and tell us all about it. Thank you, Jessica. That's okay. I think one stereo is enough. Okay. Can everybody hear me? Yes. All right. Um, so let me introduce myself a little bit. I'm a holistic veterinarian here in the Twin Cities area. My office is actually in Ham Lake, which is a city that's just a little bit north of the Twin Cities metro. I graduated from vet school 19 years ago. Uh, I went to Virginia Tech and graduated knowing nothing about holistic medicine. Uh, I moved out to the Twin Cities because my husband works for the university and started right away in small animal private practice. And it took me about five years to realize that my patients were not getting healthier as a result of my care. So by then, I'd had the same animals coming back in every year for their annual exams. And I fully expected them to be healthier, but they were not. And chronic disease is common. And things like allergies and seizures were common, hypothyroidism things that we couldn't really treat very well. And the party line is kind of to tell people that, well, you know, these things can be controlled but not cured. So that's when I went off and studied homeopathy because I was looking for a system of medicine that could actually cure disease. Um, I was, you know, very tired of um, simply refilling drugs as a way of managing my patients' conditions. So that opened the door into a whole host of holistic modalities and information. And now my practice for the past five years has just been 100% holistic medicine. I used to do an integrative practice where, you know, I had a surgery suite and x-rays and you could get antibiotics along with your homeopathic remedy. And now I just don't bother with that stuff anymore and I have a drug-free practice. And my goal is to get my patients healthier than they were at any age. So uh, I, of course, have four dogs, uh, all of whom are rescues. I have an 18-year-old little 20-pound terrier. I have a four-year-old mini golden doodle. I have a three-year-old Dutch shepherd and a three-year-old legato romagnolo. <laughs> <laughs> which nobody has ever heard of. It's the Italian water dog. The, the Dutch Shepherd is the loveliest dog on the face of the earth. He's sort of like a German Shepherd except Brindle. So he's very handsome and he's, very, he's just the nicest dog ever. Um, and I also have horses and cats and a flock of geese because who doesn't? Um, <laughs> Okay, so, but seriously, let's talk about our dogs and what we can do to make them healthy and to keep them healthy because uh, there's nothing better than talking to a room full of dog lovers. Um, and, you know, this is kind of the journey that I went through with my own dogs. My very first dog, who I had, you know, my own dog as an adult, my first dog all through vet school, had horrible allergies. He was overweight. He constantly scratched all his fur out. 
And basically every Tuesday and Thursday, I tested him for hypothyroidism, which he was never hypothyroid. I shot him up with steroids and fed him antibiotics and also unknowingly fed him crappy food uh, because we were not taught about these things in vet school. So I did everything I knew to do and it was not effective for my dog. And really my journey with him started when a groomer said to me one day, why are you feeding him that food? Feed him this other food. And I changed his food and his allergies cleared up. And I, I had no idea that that could even happen. So then I started looking into it more and I learned about nutrition and I began having more clients who were feeding better foods and then my clients were feeding raw food, which I didn't know anything about. So I had to investigate these things. And anytime I meet somebody with a dog who is really beautiful and glowing with energy, especially if it's a breed that I know should have problems, if you run into somebody with the healthiest Cocker Spaniel you have ever met, ask them what they're doing. And so that's basically how I learned about a whole bunch of new things that were not taught in vet school. So the way I look at things is I look at what affects our pet's health. And some things that we can change and some things we can't do anything about. So genetics, we're not going to change. You get what your dog came with. Uh, certain breeds are predisposed to certain issues. Um, you all have large breed dogs, and so they've got their sets of issues, especially since they're popular breeds. There used to be such a thing as hybrid vigor, which does not exist anymore. You know, people still ask me, well, what if I get a mixed breed dog? At this point, every single breed of dog is so messed up and has its own sets of problems that that is no longer a way out of this. So genetics, we're not gonna change. Environmental toxins, you know, you can stop using lawn chemicals in your own yard and you can stop using chemicals in your own home, but you may not be able to control your neighbors or your townhome association or uh, chemtrails. Here they spray cities for mosquitoes all the time. Uh, there's car exhaust. So we have some unavoidable pollutants and toxins that we can't control. You probably can't control what your city does with your water supply, for example. Things that we can control, we can control what our dogs put in their mouths, for the most part. We can control, <laughs> sometimes, uh, we can control how they live and we can control what we put into their bodies. And that is vaccines, drugs, other things that might be given. And so, like I said, we look at the things that we can control. Nutrition is paramount. Nutrition is really truly the basis of health and the reason is the bulk of your immune system is in your intestines, and that is why what you eat matters. So for people who do nothing else, if you upgrade your dog's diet, you will be making a positive impact on their life. So you're probably aware that there's a wide range of pet foods out there. So all the processed foods, whether they're dry or canned, um, all dry foods have issues. The big problem with dry foods is that even the best, most expensive dry food on the market, around the Twin Cities metro, you can pay probably $100 for a 30-pound bag of Origin. It's a good quality food. It is still 50% carbohydrate. Dogs are carnivores. In the wild, they are scavenging carnivores. The natural diet of the dog is roadkill and other animals poo. 
and rotting vegetables and fruit that falls off of trees. And here we are feeding them this carbohydrate-laden food. So the foods at the lower end of the range, the ones that you can buy at the big box stores, might even be 90, 95% carbohydrate. And the foods at the top end of the range are gonna be 50% carbohydrate. And this is what we're feeding to carnivores. Dry food is also really, really dry. And so we're used to the dog eating the food and then going and drinking an entire bowl of water. But the only reason they dr they're drinking so much water is because they basically just had saltines for dinner. So that kind of water consumption is actually not normal. The food also bulks up their poop, so then you have these big dog poops that you have to clean up. And it definitely does a number on their immune system. Because again, the immune system's in the guts. When you eat, you are directly feeding your immune system. So what I encourage people to do is look at the different pet foods that are out there, upgrade your food. There's a lot of grain-free foods on the market, and there are still differences between those. But if you look at, let's look at dry foods, if you look at the broad range of foods, and I don't know, how many of you are feeding dry food? Okay, fair number. So the food at the lower end of the range, the big box store brand foods, there are some foods that mushers feed that some of uh, that, you know, we don't even ever get to see those brands, um, and they're very low quality. Those foods are like the box of mac and cheese that you buy at the dollar store, right? And it tells you on the label that it's made with Velveeta and that it's full of preservatives, and you get what you pay for. The food, the dry foods at the top end of the range are like the Annie's organic mac and cheese. It's made with real cheese, and it does not have preservatives in it. But it's still mac and cheese. And you can't pretend that it's really going to make you healthy. So what I do a lot of in my practice is I teach people how to feed a raw food diet. It is super easy to do. It is not complicated. I actually have a client who said to me after he had put his dog on a raw food diet, he said, so the way we're feeding Ruby, it's not very scientific. No, it's food, it's not science. We would like to turn it into a science because then it has marketing power and we can sell it to you. But really, it's food. And the things that you need to know about feeding a raw food diet are you have to have variety in the diet. So changing the proteins as often as you can is beneficial. Depending on the size of dogs that you have, the number of dogs that you have, that determines how you buy your food, what you do with it, and how quickly you're going to go through it. So that will determine how quickly you can change proteins. If you want to change proteins at every meal, knock yourself out. But if you think about, if you're going to feed a raw food diet, how long is meat good for in the fridge? Three or four days. So that's at least as often as you should be changing proteins. About half of the meat that you feed has to have bones in it whether they're ground up or whole. I tend to feed my dogs a lot of animal parts. So um, this morning and last night they had duck wings, raw duck wings right out of the fridge. Uh, the big dogs and my little dogs. Um, and then, you know, I do feed some vegetables. I do have clients who are feeding the prey model. They're only feeding their dogs meat and bone. I think dogs that get some vegetables and some fruit do better. There, you just need a little bit and variety. So if you think about your dog, if you're feeding your dog a cup of food, then correspondingly, they would get maybe one or two ounces of vegetables. 
but it's not something that's crucial. Yeah, it, it doesn't matter as long as there's variety, right? So you just have to offer them different things. The dogs that are going to be healthier are the dogs who have had table scraps, the dogs who have been fed a, a variety of foods over the course of their lifetime. You know, I was thinking about this last night. I have this little 18-year-old terrier. How did she get to be this old? Well, she, I, in, back in the day, I used to run a humane society, and she, she was picked up as a stray. She was already spayed. Don't know anything else about her. She was vaccinated minimally by the, by the Humane Society that I was running, so she had a distemper and a rabies vaccine. A Couple of years later, my husband had a panic attack because we didn't know which one of the cats in the house had been vaccinated for rabies or not, so he had a little panic attack. I went through the house and vaccinated everybody, except Tootsie ran away that day. So she avoided a vaccine there, um, and she has not had any other adverse impacts on her life. So she has not had heartworm preventive, she has not had flea and tick chemicals dumped on her, and she has eaten a wide variety of crazy things and survived. She's a 20-pound dog. She, back in the day when she could still see, she used to be able to jump on our kitchen countertops. And so she helped herself to an entire box of Easter chocolates. Um, she ate three one-pound bags of brown rice. She ate half a bag, a five-pound bag of equine missing link. The other half she just ground into the carpet. Um, she ate angel food scented candles. <laughs> so they must have smelled like food, right? Even though they're made of paraffin. I mean, they're pretty toxic. Um, and the last thing that she ate was uh, a one-pound container of English toffee cappuccino mix that I won at a party. <laughs> and thoughtlessly left on the countertop because I figured she couldn't get up there anymore. Um, but really, you know, she's in excellent shape for her age. So, for, so the first thing to look at is what you're going to feed your dog and to think about how you can introduce some variety. If you're going to feed dry food, make sure it's grain-free and get a variety of foods. You need food from different manufacturers. You need foods with different protein sources. When, when I was in vet school, we were taught to tell people, only feed pet food, don't ever change your pet food, and never, ever feed table scraps. And those three rules are the road to hell for dogs. That will get you from here to allergies faster than anything else. So if you're going to, if you have a big dog and you're going to buy a big bag of, of grain-free food, but you still want to be able to change the food, you have to keep your open bags in the freezer and you put out in a jar enough food that's going to last you for the next day or two and set yourself up to be able to change foods as often as you can. You have to look at the protein source. You have to look at the carbohydrate source. So the cheapest grain-free foods, what did they do? They took, the, they, they took out the grains, the corn, the wheat, the rye, the sorghum, the barley, the oats, and replaced them with potatoes. Okay, so if you say, well, how many potatoes would a dog normally eat in a day? None, right? And potatoes are in the nightshade family, so, you know, there could be some issues there. So that's why you want different brands of food, because each manufacturer is using a different carbohydrate source. And then just set yourself up to change foods as often as you possibly can, and you will have healthier dogs for it. 
yeah, it's an excellent brand, but you still you have to have variety. And so, you know, like this is what I see a lot of people do. You know, oh, you know, we feed our dog Pure Vita, and we just buy all the different flavors. And that's great. One little problem there is that each pet food manufacturing company is using their own vitamin mineral mix. So when you read through the ingredient list of the foods and you get to the part where it's past the things that kind of are recognizable as food items and you get into the chemical part, that is based on really poor science that was done in 1985. Uh, it was revisited in 2005, I believe, but nothing was published. And this is, this is research about the vitamin and mineral requirements of dogs and cats that was never really done. Uh, so we, we know very little about this. Well, if you think about if dry food is really made of all the, the first 10 ingredients, if it's really made of chicken and uh, chicken meal and like the acana, they're putting in organic cranberries and organic strawberries and organic blueberries, why do they have to add a whole bunch of synthetic vitamins and minerals? And it's because they take the first 10 ingredients and they cook the living crap out of them. So all the ingredients are dumped into a big vat. They're cooked for three days at high heat, and you end up with nutritionless sludge. Now you have to enrich it so that the dogs who eat it don't die. It's like enriched breakfast cereal, right? I mean, breakfast cereal is uh, fairly unrecognizable compared to what it used to be or compared to what it's made of, and they have to enrich it so that you can actually get through the day. So they throw in some vitamins and minerals so that you feel like it gives you energy and you get through your day, and dog food is exactly the same. The problem is that synthetic vitamins are not really very good for us. Your body has a hard time utilizing them. You're gonna end up peeing a lot of them out. Uh, the minerals are often directly from mines, and yet we, as humans, we don't fulfill our mineral needs by eating rocks, right? We have to eat plants. So, you know, these are some of the considerations that you have when it comes to pet food. So each pet food manufacturer has their vitamin mineral mix that's going to go into all their products. So you want to vary that just so that you don't unknowingly end up in a vitamin or mineral overdose or underdose situation, which your veterinarian would never recognize. Because what we were taught in vet school in our nutrition class, which, by the way, is an elective nowadays, at least here in Minnesota, we had a year-long nutrition class at Virginia Tech. But, you know, it was almost 20 years ago. Um, and it was mostly about feeding the lactating dairy cow. The cat and dog lectures were taught by a vet from Science Diet. Science Diet writes the textbook, Small Animal Clinical Nutrition, that is given for free to each veterinary student. And basically, we were told, as long as it sat on the bag 100% complete and balanced, you were done asking questions. That was all you needed to know. And yet, that's not true, because we want our dogs to live a long time, not have health problems, and you know, we want them to glow. We want them to feel good. We want them to run and play. So it turns out to be a little bit more involved than that. So grain-free food, raw food if you can swing it. Uh, it, you can get raw food, raw pet food, any place in the United States at this point. Uh, if anybody's here in the Twin Cities, um, there are plenty of ways to get it in bulk and cheap, and it's an excellent product. Dry food gets recalled all the time for E. coli and salmonella contamination, and the raw pet food companies, 
not grocery store raw food, but raw food from pet food companies that are making that specific product is allowed zero tolerance for bacteria by the FDA. So the FDA is never going to shut down Purina or Diamond, but they will shut down a raw pet food company in a heartbeat. So to some extent, it's to our advantage. It's a cleaner product. It's a safer product. I think it's safer than dry food. You bet. Hi, my name is Chris Buckley, and um, I, I'm, I'm just a little confused. If the dry dog food is susceptible to salmonella and other bacteria, how is raw food not going to have salmonella and other viruses and such? It's because of their manufacturing processes. Yeah, I mean, they, they just have to be totally careful because the FDA is scrutinizing them like crazy. I have no idea how they do it. Um, but perhaps you may have heard about the, the diamond plant in North Carolina. It was manufacturing foods for a whole bunch of different dry food companies, including solid gold. And it was um, temporarily shut down by the FDA because the machinery was held together with duct tape and because they weren't cleaning it. You know, another issue with dry food, too, is the turducken factor. And so, you know, what this is... Um, like, you know, the last time I was in an airport and I bought a snack, and it says on the back, uh, by the way, this was made in a factory that also handles tree nuts and peanuts and stuff like that. And I was thinking, well, what do I care? What else do you people make? And they're telling you by having that label on there that we're not cleaning the machinery between runs. And that's why you could potentially run into cross-contamination. So if you have a dog with allergies and they need to be on, bless you, they need to be on a strict turkey diet and you're buying a, a pet food that tells you that the only protein in there is turkey, uh, this is actually published in the Journal of the American Veterinary Medical Association. They analyzed a whole bunch of these foods and found that there was cross-contamination of all different kinds of proteins in there. So dry food I find is just more challenging. You know a lot less about what you're feeding your dogs. You have a lot less control over quality of the ingredients because it all looks the same to us. Wait, I'm coming. Wait your turn. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, I would like to ask two questions. Uh, number one, if you were going to go raw, how do you keep up with it when we're, you're gone for a week away from home, like at a convention, you don't have a refrigerator and all that stuff. The second question, is it okay to go the grain-free dog, uh, my dog has dry dog food, grain-free, um, to switch off with raw from time to time and then dry? You know, like use dry when I travel and then raw when we're at home? Is that possible? Okay. So this is where the dehydrated foods and the freeze-dried foods come in really handy. And that's what I use when I travel with my dogs. There are freeze-dried raw foods, which are exactly the same as the raw frozen foods. Yes, they are frozen. Um, but they're very light. They don't weigh anything because they're, they're freeze-dried. So it's basically the raw food that they've somehow magically sucked all the moisture out of. 
and you don't even need a dog dish to feed them. You can, you can put them in a dish and rehydrate them, or you can just feed them dry and make sure there's water available. Uh, you know, there's, there's no hard and fast rules about you have to do this 100% of the time, and if you don't do it, then, you know, you're not a holistic pet owner. So you have to do whatever works for you. I, for a couple of years, you know, I was worried about feeding raw food. I didn't know anything about it. And I fed my dogs half dry food and half raw food for quite a while. And I used the pre-made raw foods that are very expensive, but they, are, they have everything in them that you need, and all you have to do is thaw and serve. And I did that because I didn't have a whole lot of time. I was very afraid of doing it wrong. I was afraid of hurting my dogs. And it was simple, and that I could handle. And that was kind of my entry into feeding raw. Now I do the whole, you know, buy in bulk, you know, buy the case. I buy a case of duck necks and a case of turkey tails and just break it down at home. But, but to start with, you can absolutely add a little bit of raw food to the dry. Um, I, you know, I know that there are websites that will tell you, oh my God, don't mix raw food and dry food because they digest at different rates. Your body is not stupid. You know, it, it'll figure it out. Hi, I'm Vicki Curley from New Jersey. Um, the, the first thing I want to say to you, just so you have an understanding, what you're saying here is in direct con con uh, conflict as to what most of us have been taught from our schools um, for many, many years. So I just you know, so you know so, uh, some of what, where we're coming from here. Um, we've always been told, you know, if you're going to switch a dog's food, you must do it gradually. You must be very careful with their systems. The one variable that I would want to remind you of is that we bring our dogs into public. I guess I should say that our dogs bring us into public. And one of the issues that several friends of mine have discussed is trying to put this delicately, um, gas issues, issues, <laughs> yeah, not only that, but you know, our dogs being allowed into public places cannot be having accidents, they cannot be, uh, I mean, we could go into some fart stories on dogs, but we'll keep it clean. Um, and, and so th the, these are issues that we, who, especially those of us who travel a lot, really have to be concerned about. And, and finally, I've often heard people talk about dogs in the wild. And, you know, what do they do? They eat roadkill. But roadkill, let's face it, if they eat the stomach contents of roadkill, it's got grain. So, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm curious as to why it's important to go directly to a grain-free diet even without um, a dog maybe showing the need for that. Thank you. Okay, let me see if I remember everything. Um, okay, what was the first thing? <laughs> oh, you can, you can switch food as slowly or as fast as you want. I don't think I've said anything about that. You do whatever works for you. Um, I have a client whose dog had horrible inflammatory bowel disease. This dog had been on steroids for nine of its 10 years. When she decided to switch to raw food, with my encouragement, she started, and the dog was on a prescription diet, it was on science diet ZD and had been forever. 
She started with one ounce of raw food added to its food every day, and it took her uh, eight months to get the dog on a raw food diet. I don't care. I'm not going to come to her house to clean up diarrhea, right? So you do whatever works for you. As far as your dogs being out in public, I would think that raw feeding would be an advantage because then your dogs don't fart and their poop are, is really small and hard and very easy to pick up. And if you don't pick it up, by the next day it turns white and then by the next day it kind of disintegrates. So it eliminates a lot of the poop pickup issues. Um, okay, and then what was the last thing? Oh, being in direct opposition to everybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and I'm, I'm aware of that. I'm aware that, you know, I've kind of gone off the deep end, perhaps, of holistic medicine. Um, but I just don't worry about it anymore because I'm really in it for the health of the dogs. Oh, what you were saying about the dogs eating the stomach of their prey, right, but you have to think about wild prey animals, which is, of course, not really what they're eating now. Um, for example, one of the reasons, when I've tried feeding my dogs rabbit, raw rabbit, they always refuse. I know people who feed their dogs raw rabbit successfully, but my dogs have always refused it. And I wonder if part of the reason isn't because what are commercial rabbits fed? Probably GMO alfalfa pellets. So there's got to be something in there that somehow dissuades them. You know, um, I even saw this on the back of dry dog food. It said, um, remember, digestion starts in the mouth. And that's true if you're human, but it's not true of dogs. Dogs' salivary glands do not produce amylase. Their intestines do not produce cellulase. Ours don't either. But we can get by eating uh, stuff that needs amylase if we chew it enough. Right, but even some stuff we're going to poop out whole. And so with dogs, really, I think that they can get by eating grains because they are a scavenger species. And so it is kind of in their nature to be able to eat a wide variety of things and survive. But on the whole, especially if you have a dog with any kind of allergies or inflammation, don't forget arthritis is inflammation. Um, torn cruciate ligaments are inflammation. Uh, there's a whole bunch of symptoms out there that relate to inflammation. Hypothyroidism in dogs, all hypothyroidism in dogs is autoimmune thyroiditis, so it involves a state of inflammation. Then you really have to think about going grain-free and gluten-free because those things induce inflammation in dogs just like they do in a lot of people. Oh, good. Wait, 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 wait. So wait, there's a mic on the other side of the room. <laughs> Hello. Um, I'm Gigi Firth from Dallas, and... Having had a couple of horrible scavengers before, I would be really concerned if I started feeding my dog something, you know, the things like you're mentioning, um, because of scavenging. When we go into restaurants, you know, I mean, if they see people, have they been eating something similar to people food, I can just see some of these dogs saying, especially some of these labs, and I've got one that's part, that's three-quarters golden and part lab. You know, I can see some of them saying, oh, good. That sound looks like just wonderful stuff. Well, you know, that's a training thing, right? <laughs> right, but yeah, but, yeah, but you can train your dog not to beg. I mean, that this... It, <laughs> you know, but, but that's, that's what dogs do. I mean, what... Yes. 
Oh, sure. Yeah, that's true. So your dogs are taken to a lot of places where other people don't get to take their dogs, for sure. Um, I don't know. I think because there are other types of service dogs out there, so I don't know. Yeah, but they can't always control them. What? Right. Right. And so, so what is the? So what do you do currently? So you only feed your dogs dry food, and you only give them dry treats so that they won't associate that anything else is food. It, it, still, it still sounds like a training issue, because this is something that we've covered in obedience training that, that I've taken dogs to. Yeah. Yeah, but it, but it, is, but it is a matter of, of training your dog not to eat random things. Okay, wait a minute. Are we going to stall out on the raw food issue? Yeah, but you and everybody else, my God. <laughs> no. Yes. That is what raw food is. It is not cooked. OK, OK, OK. Yeah, I just wanted to do one more quick thing on the raw food. I, and it's a, on the upside of this. I've been very close to doing this for a very long time. And I'm really excited to hear this presentation because I'm, I'm ready. Now, I, I really don't want to. I went through the whole thing with the rabbit with um, one of my previous dogs. And that was awful. Um, and so I was kind of delighted to hear that there might be some prepackaged foods so that I would think it wasn't as bad, although maybe it would be better for my dog. And um, where do you get these? And um, particularly, where do you get the freeze-dried ones? But where do you get the just frozen ones that are prepackaged? And how much, if you're feeding your dog a certain amount of dry, bad food? I mean, I went through this in my own life, and I've changed my whole life. And I thought, why can't I chew this for my dog? So. Um, where, where do you get it, and then how do you proportion it according to um, uh, what you've been feeding the dog now in terms of cups? Okay. 
this, this stuff is now available pretty much anywhere in the United States because you can also buy it at Petco and PetSmart. So they're selling raw food too. Yep, Nature's Variety got into Petco, and I think there is even raw food available at PetSmart. Um, as far as how much to feed, so if you're feeding like a regular dog food that has grains in it, and you switch to grain-free dry food, you must feed less because the food is more digestible. They're going to utilize more of it. You don't need to feed as much. In my experience, it ends up being you feed about half as much. When you switch to raw food, you feed less again because it's practically all digestible. So some of this is that you just need to put your hands on your dogs once a week and kind of gauge their weight. And this is something that I do on a regular basis. Um, it's not like I do it every Sunday, but you know, just without thinking about it. When you put your hands on your dog's side, so if you're standing next to your dog and you lean over and put a hand on either side of their chest, you should be on their ribs. You should be able to feel their bones. When you put your hand flat on your dog's back, you should be on spine. You should be able to feel the dog's spine. Um, and it's going to vary depending on the dog's level of activity. Um, you know, here as we swing into winter, I feed my dog somewhat less just by gauging their weight, not by a logical decision of, oh, we're not going to be doing much next week. I guess I'll feed you less, but just by gauging their weight. And then when spring comes around again and we're more active outside, I end up having to feed them more to keep the same kind of condition on them. Um, it, it, after that, it gets into your dog's individual metabolism, and it's really hard to say, you know, how much any given dog should be fed. Um, I would love to. <laughs> okay, you bet. Okay, let's do one more question. Hi, real quick, on uh, some of the guide dog lists, I've heard, and I don't know if this is true or not, people are claiming that salmonella is more of an issue for humans and that we need to wash our hands and that the dog's digestive system is a little better at handling it. I mean, not that you want to feed your dog anything with salmonella, but, but that the issue is more for the handlers. Is that true? And right. Right, probably. So, so dogs, as a scavenger species, yes, because, again, their natural diet is roadkill, and that means whole dead things with maggots and, you know, worms and who knows what else. Um, but if you have a hothouse dog, you know, their only diet up until now has been dry food or some sort of cooked or processed product then you're right. You don't necessarily leap into it because it can backfire on you. And you have to build in that tolerance. So this is why I encourage my clients to feed table scraps. But again, this is not, you know, you don't buy the, buy the dog a Whopper at Burger King. Um, you know, you, ha you, s you start with good quality food and introduce it bit by bit. You know, I was never really one to start anything too slowly, so I sort of dove into things, and once in a while, I did end up having to clean up messes in my house, which I understand that everybody would rather avoid. Um, but perhaps you have more patience than I do. Okay, so, um, you know what? I mean, I'll stick around afterwards if anybody wants to ask me questions. I'm up for it.
So what are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about supplements, teeth, and vaccines. Please and ticks, front line. Okay, got it. Okay, vaccines. Well, you know, everybody needs to decide what you're going to do about vaccines. For the sake of the dog, the vaccines that they get as puppies, so they go through the distemper series, culminating in the rabies vaccine, uh, if you choose to vaccinate, and then they should be done for life. So there's no benefit to the dog to continue to repeat vaccines. Uh, if, you know, if your veterinarian gives you grief about this, you just ask them when was the last time they had their rabies vaccine boosted. So I was vaccinated for rabies when I was in vet school, like everybody else. So probably about 22 years ago at this point, and nobody ever sends me a postcard. Nobody ever uh, suggests that I might have to booster my rabies vaccine because it's good for life. I did have my titer checked once. So a titer is an antibody level, right? You can have a blood test done and say, well, how many antibodies does my dog have to rabies? So I had my rabies titer checked once. It was high. I don't have to do that again either. Uh, vaccines are something that have a huge impact on dog's health. Uh, I understand why conventional medicine is very avid about vaccines because we have horrible diseases like distemper and parvo. And if you don't have good tools to treat them, then they are very scary indeed. If you have homeopathic remedies, they're a lot less scary from experience. Um, so that's something that you, you all need to think about. There are differences between the viral vaccines, rabies, distemper, hepatitis, and parvo, and the bacterial vaccines, kennel cough, Lyme, leptospirosis. Vaccinating against bacterial diseases is not very effective at all. The kennel cough is notoriously a worthless vaccine. Uh, you're better off using the homeopathic no-sode if you really want true prevention. Um, I don't know. What else do you want to know about vaccines? Ithuya is not always... Yeah, and it's, it's not always the the correct antidoting remedy. Um, I have seen it used. I tried it a bunch of times in practice and it didn't do what I wanted it to. And it, what, it depends on what the vaccine reaction looked like. The way I feel about vaccines now, and I go to a lot of effort to not be dogmatic about the things that I present, right? I look at my patients, I look at my own pets, I wanna make sure that this stuff works and that I'm not just out dancing in the street saying, you know, everything's better when it's natural. Um, and so I, I go to great lengths to educate myself and to look critically at my patients and at the dogs who are coming into my practice. Uh, I think about vaccines, you will either pay now or pay later if you vaccinate your dog. And what that means is that if you vaccinate your dog and they have a reaction within the next 24, 48 hours, you have paid now. If you give your dog a vaccine and nothing happens, and you wait for like a week and everything's okay, and you're like, whew, dodged a bullet, you will pay later. And what that means is you're gonna pay in cancer, inflammatory bowel disease, allergies, thyroid issues, uh, you know, anything else you can imagine. When we vaccinate dogs, they produce antibodies not only against the virus in the vaccine, they also produce antibodies against their own connective tissue. So there's a showering of antibody production against their own organs, their own thyroid tissue, their own adrenal tissue, and their own connective tissue. 
and connective tissue is what holds us together in our bodies, and blood is also connective tissue. And so that's how you get immune-mediated hemolytic anemia and immune-mediated thrombocytopenia. How do you get away from... Wait, wait, wait. Everybody's got a question. You're up. How do you get away from the fact that the law states that you have to have your dog vaccinated, especially if you want to travel overseas? Right. Okay, so Hawaii actually will recognize there's a specific rabies titer that you have to do to get into Hawaii because I've done that. Um, yeah, I mean, some stuff is just really difficult. Like, it, it, for us Minnesotans, getting into Canada was a lot harder. Um, so it's, and actually the hard part about getting into Canada is coming back into the States. So for traveling, it is extremely difficult. I would say find a veterinarian who will give you a three-year rabies vaccine and a three-year distemper vaccine. So that is pretty crucial. Um, here in Minnesota, there were some vets who were giving, with, with a three-year labeled product, they were giving a one-year vaccine or a two-year rabies certificate. And thanks to some nice ladies who threatened a class action lawsuit against veterinarians in Minnesota, uh, an edict was passed down from the Board of Veterinary Medicine that if you're going to use a three-year labeled product, you must give a three-year certificate. There is no such thing as a two-year rabies vaccine. This, the laws vary from state to state, and so you have to find out what the laws are in your state. Minnesota recognizes a health waiver for rabies, and there are other states that do. Um, for international travel, uh, you know, it, it's just a challenge. I think you kind of, you may be uh, forced to do whatever you have to do there. That, that is true here as well for the, for the cities that still have licensing programs because after the latest recession, a lot of them dumped their licensing. And then what I suggest to my clients is then you go get yourself a rabies titer instead of a vaccine. The titer has a three to four week turnaround time, so you need to be aware of that. You have your blood test drawn. It gets sent to Kansas State University. They test it for antibodies against rabies. Do not call City Hall ahead of time and ask them if they will accept a titer instead of vaccination. Instead, you show up and you say, here is my rabies titer with a letter from my vet showing that my dog is immune to rabies, and here's my 25 bucks. So you're far better presenting it as a fait accompli rather than asking for permission. Okay, um, this is Chris Buckley again. Um, the titer costs over $200 to do, because I had that done with one of my dogs. So that could be an issue as well, you know, financially. But I had a, my guide, my most recent guide, was diagnosed with Addison's disease. So are you saying that if I didn't keep up with his vaccines, he would not have had Addison's disease? No, because I'm not in control of the world. No, but I'm saying you're, you're saying over-vaccinating causes an immuno... Yeah, so, so I started out by saying, let's look at the things that affect our pet's health, right? And so there was genetics, pollution, diet, nutrition, vaccines, and drugs. And so that's all I'm saying is we control the things that we can control. But obviously there are factors that we can't do anything about. So, you know, no, it, is it directly attributable, attributable to the vaccines? No, there's no way to prove anything like that. Um, but, it, but it plays a factor, you know, it plays a part in how healthy you're gonna be. What I do for rabies titers, because 
I'm a reasonable human being as I charge $35 for the sample prep. I will draw the blood, I will spin it down in the centrifuge, I will provide you with a serum sample, and you pay Kansas State and pay to overnight the sample to them. That's a lot less of a headache for me. Um, so that's kind of how I handle it because I don't want to have to go to the post office, basically. So that, so that might be something that you could propose. So, you know, heartworm is a huge concern in Minnesota. We're, uh, we're a very good state for adopting out dogs. And so the rescues in Minnesota are constantly bringing in dogs from other states. Uh, one of the rescues that I work with, every weekend I think they go to Missouri and shop at the puppy mill auctions and bring back hordes of dogs. And some of those dogs do have heartworm. So it's like we have a constant... You know, plus we have buku mosquitoes. So we have a constant source of incoming dogs that are heartworm positive. Uh, I think that we, we don't pay enough attention to the value of eating a healthy diet and giving good supplements, which we haven't talked about yet, uh, as far as keeping your dogs healthy and making them more disease resilient. Uh, but that is something that I see in my clients. So I still do heartworm tests every spring, I have my clinic days, I hire a veterinary technician, and all my clients come in and we do heartworm testing. We chip the tartar off their pet's teeth and do senior blood panels and all this kind of stuff. And uh, in spite of not using heartworm preventive, my patients are not dropping dead of heartworm disease. Uh, there was a study that was done in wolves where they said, well, you know, if dogs are the natural host for heartworms, surely the wolves must be dropping dead of heartworm disease. And they found that 2% of the wolf population that was studied had heartworms, and none of the wolves had heartworm disease. So they were not made ill by the heartworms. Um, you know, veterinarians get all the information about heartworm disease, its prevalence, its prevention, its treatment. All this information is provided to us by the American Heartworm Society, which is funded by the nice folks who make guard because <laughs> I wondered this too one year I was like how do I know this how do I know that if my dog is not on preventive he's going to get heartworm how do I know that heartworm disease is uniformly fatal in dogs where was I taught this courtesy of the American Heartworm Society there are all sorts of natural things that you can do to keep insects off your dog so as far as fleas and ticks Minnesota is also a huge hotbed for Lyme disease because we have more ticks than any other place on earth um, and so there are various uh, options out there. There are standardized garlic extracts that I have used for years successfully. Um, I use bug off garlic. It's made by a company called Springtime because it's a standardized extract. So I don't have to figure out you know, where the garlic was grown and what variety it is and all that kind of stuff. There are zero bug zone tags that you hang on your dog's collar that have a, a magnetic strip like a credit card strip and they uh, also repel insects. There are amber collars. Uh, some of them are made by a company called Amberstone Pet, but you can also buy them on Amazon. And they're collars, but they're, they're more like necklaces. They're made of these chunky amber beads and amber, it turns out, is also insect repellent. And there are probably a million essential oil recipes on the internet. Uh, you could actually use half and half water and vinegar and a plant mister. 
and just missed your dog, you know, as you're going outside, missed them before they come back in the house. Right. And it depends. I mean, if you're, if you're camping in the woods, you know, you'd probably want to do it every two, three hours. If, you, if you're in a suburban place and your yard is not populated by hordes of wildlife, um, you know, then you might only need to do it once or twice a day. But, you know, all these things are options, and I think they're all, you know, again, I see what my clients are doing and see if what I'm recommending is working. Of course, I do the stuff with my own dogs, too. Uh, at this point, up until last year, I was using the garlic on my dogs. My shepherd really would not tolerate it, right? Just like that. I said, no way. So this year, I'm not doing any of that. I'm f I feed them raw food. I give them supplements to keep them healthy. I try to give them a mentally healthy lifestyle. We'll, we'll see how that's going. And, uh, and I rarely, rarely find ticks on my, dog, on my dogs. And I live in the middle of the woods with swamp on three sides of my house. I actually live um, in an ecosystem science reserve. So I have five and a half thousand acres of wilderness in my backyard. Okay, what else did you want to know? Please text. Supplements, anybody want to talk about supplements? And teeth, okay, teeth. How are we doing on time, anybody? Okay, so uh, basic, basic supplements that are necessary, I think, for any dog to keep them healthy. Fish oils provide essential fatty acids, right? So the cell membrane of every cell in our body is made up of fatty acids, some of which are essential, and that means that we have to eat them. So since you can't buy beef oil or chicken oil, we're stuck with fish oil. You gotta watch quality, basically. Uh, what I tell people is if you can buy a bottle of 1,000 capsules for $8.99 at Costco, don't buy that product. Um, you want something that has something on the packaging that tells you we cared enough to have this party, to have this tested by a third-party lab for mercury and other contaminants. Um, even with my supplements, by the way, I rotate them. So I, what I tell my clients is, I don't want you to go to the store and say, oh, this is the fish oil I always get. I feel that every one of these little companies that's making a super excellent quality product, their dream in life is to be bought by Procter & Gamble. And then, you know, the quality is going to drop out. So I just rotate them as well. Um, the second thing is probiotics. So healthy bacteria, you need billions, you, everybody, you need billions of bacteria every day, and so do our dogs. So normally our dogs would be getting billions of bacteria by eating poo. You know, in this part of the country, six months out of the year, they have no access to poo. The poo is frozen or covered with snow. Right? So, and you know, plus in this country, we did some things with agriculture and we seem to have depleted our soil of probiotics. So add probiotics. You can use probiotics that are made for humans because they're usually more dense than the ones that are made for dogs. You need something with multiple strains of bacteria and billions of bacteria per dose. So you can go to a health food store, you can find probiotics that have two billion bacteria per dose or 85 billion bacteria per dose. Yeah, pick something. Digestive enzymes. An enzyme supplement is huge. There are some made for dogs that seem pretty decent. So Prozyme and Solid Gold makes one called Dzyme. Or you can buy one that's made for humans. Uh, and I just use a variety of supplements there as well. And then the last thing is a whole food supplement. So a whole food supplement 
provides vitamins and minerals from food sources. So if you go to buy a multivitamin, you want to see what it's made of, and you don't want the ingredients to be vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C. That can be what it's providing, but it shouldn't be what it's made of because those are synthetic. So if you buy a bottle of vitamin C tablets, and they are made of ascorbic acid or sodium ascorbate or calcium ascorbate, that is the antioxidant shell of the vitamin C complex. It is not a complete vitamin C, and you'd be better off eating an orange. And so that's what I, when I buy a whole food supplement, I want the ingredients to be food items, usually plants, that I recognize. And again, I vary those. And so things like that are um, Dr. Harvey's Immune Boost is one. Fresh Factors is another one. Right now I'm giving my dogs longevity by springtime. Uh, and there are a bunch of these on the market. Uh, and I just vary them there as well. And those are things that I do for my dogs every day. Now, when I'm handing them duck wings, how am I giving them their supplements, especially since I have an uber picky shepherd? And the answer is Braunschweiger. <laughs> it is disgusting, but he will eat it without blinking. So that's what I'm shooting for. <laughs> and as far as teeth, keeping their teeth clean, Raw bones are just your answer there. Um, I give my dogs a lot of bones to eat, and they always have perfect teeth. Uh, no, no, raw bones. Because it, what I do is, so, they're, so they start out frozen. I thaw them out for 24 hours before I give them to my dogs. And I'm, I use bones that they can eat, not so much the big bones that you give for chewing kind of thing. And so we, we always think of our bones as kind of rebar, that's holding us together, but our bones are actually connective tissue, and connective tissue is mostly water. And raw bones are very pliable, actually. So, so the, like the first time I, I even heard about this, I went to do a house call for a lady who had two Springer Spaniels. They were seven and eight years old. These dogs were in perfect health, they were amazing, and they had beautiful teeth. And she was feeding them Steve's Real Food, which is one of the raw food diets that you thaw and serve, and it kind of looks like soup when you thaw it out. And she was giving the dogs a raw chicken wing every day. And they had perfect teeth. So, Hey, thank you so much. I think we're finished. Um, if you, you want to stay around, we have a suite if you want to hang out there. I know there will be people asking you for answers to questions. I don't know where you are. I don't know where to look. Uh, um, and we have a gift for you, so I wanted to... Uh, Thank you with our gift. It's a pen with our logo on it. It's very beautiful. It was made by the brother of one of our members. And um, we really appreciate all the time you've taken with us. You've, we are so much better educated. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. And uh, good questions. This is how you learn stuff is by asking questions. So thank you very much. Thank you. So this suite is right next. So is, do we have a break now, do you think? Jay. Out the door and it's, turn right. Yeah, it's First in the room, on I your think, right. where, the, where the little store is. Yes, yes. The next uh, presentation starts in 15 minutes. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for such great questions. <laughs>